Welcome to the First Baptist Church Brunswick podcast. Join us as we desire to lead people into a deep and thriving relationship with Jesus Christ. Good morning, everybody. It is good to see you this morning, and I'm glad that you're here. It's been a good day, amen? been a good, good, good day. And so if you have your Bibles with you this morning, and I'm sure that you do, um, have them ready because we're looking at lots of Scripture this morning. All right, have them ready. Uh, We're going to look at a lot of Scripture. Uh, They'll be on the screen behind me, and it'll also be in the uh, Version Bible app. You just uh, click on Live Event, and you can follow along. And my, uh, for my notes there, and I hope that you can do that because this morning, um, I'm actually real excited about what we're talking about, what I'm talking about this morning, as I want to talk to you about miracles. How many of you believe in miracles? Yeah, I think all of you do. And uh, miracles, so I want to talk to you about what the Bible has to say about miracles. And I've titled today's message, When Pigs Fly. Anybody ever heard that phrase before? When pigs fly, whenever somebody uses that phrase, what do they mean? It ain't going to happen. Isn't that right? It is not going to happen when pigs fly. And um, I'll give you a couple examples of what I mean of when pigs fly. Um, it, it could be like this. My beloved Texas Tech Red Raiders. <laughs> wait, wait a minute. Wait, wait. I haven't finished the punchline yet. Just wait. My beloved Texas Tech Red Raiders will win the National Football Championship next year. When pigs fly. It's about right. That's about right. When pigs fly, I think you all understand what I mean by that. Oh, here's, here's another one. If one of my daughters comes up to you and says, did you hear that my dad's going to allow, uh, allow us to get another cat? You know what to say. Amen. When pigs fly, and we, 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 know, um, we, we, we know what that means, that that, that ain't going to happen. Don't hold your breath. Not in a million years, right? When pigs fly. Um, as we talk about miracles uh, this morning, there are many people in the world who believe that when it comes to a miracle, it'll only occur when pigs fly, that there's no way that that can happen. Well, this morning I I stand before you and I want to argue, or my premise for this message is this, that I believe that the word miracle is losing and has lost some power. And I want to tell you why. There's three reasons why I believe the word miracle has lost its power, and this is on the screen for you. Number one, the first reason I believe that the word miracle has lost its power, it's because of unbelief. It's because of unbelief. Some people today say, you know, I believe in a miracle-working God. God does miracles, but he probably won't do it for me. I think many people fall in the category of, I know God can do miracles, but the question is, will he? Will he do a miracle? Or or some people are in the category, yeah, I know that God will do a miracle. I know he'll do a miracle for you, but will he do it for me? And so I think the word miracle has lost its power because of unbelief. Turn with me to Mark chapter 6. Go to Mark chapter 6. I just want to read a passage of Scripture that shows um, what goes on when there is some unbelief. In Mark chapter 6, Jesus is fairly new into his ministry, his three-year ministry, and and he's teaching in, in town to town, and every town he goes into, he preaches in the synagogue. Well, in Mark chapter 6, he comes to his hometown of Nazareth. And he goes into the synagogue, which is his custom, and there he begins to teach. And in Mark chapter 6, verse 2, it says this, And all those who listened to him were astonished. They were astonished. Now pick up in verse number 2, about midway through that verse, and, and it reads this. And the people said about Jesus, Where did this man get these things? 
And what is this wisdom given to him and such miracles as these performed by his hands? And so the people of Nazareth see Jesus doing a miracle. But look at verse 3. They start to ask questions about Jesus. They said, is this not, is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And look at that last line of verse 3. And they, the people who heard Jesus speak, they took offense at him. Now jump down to verse number 5 and look what they do. And in verse 5 it says, and he, Jesus, could do no miracle there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And verse 6 said, and he wondered at their unbelief. So apparently in Scripture, when it comes to miracles, miracles and belief, there is some type of connection. I don't fully understand that connection because I don't believe, as some believe, that your miracle is dependent upon the strength of your faith. I don't, I don't agree with that because, because Jesus said, if you just have faith the size of a mustard seed. I'm more in that category more than I can ever imagine. Amen? I mean, my faith so many times is so small, but, but there is a connection between belief or unbelief and miracles. And so I believe the word miracle has lost the power because of unbelief. The second reason that I believe miracle has lost its power is because it is often wrongly used. The word miracle is often wrongly used. It's used um, in an inappropriate situation. It's used in a situation that's not even a miracle. Now, let me give you an example. Let's say you hear somebody, they tell you a story how, how um, they were going to go to Target that day. And they said, I prayed that there would be a parking spot right by the door. And I drove to Target, and guess what? There was a parking space right next to the front door. It's a miracle. Look at your neighbor and say, that ain't no miracle. <laughs> that ain't no miracle. All that happened was this. Somebody backed out of that spot, and you beat the next person to it. It's not a miracle. And many times, many times believers, we call things miracles that really aren't what? They're really not miracles. And we're going to explain the word miracle to you in just a few moments. But two weeks ago when Angela and I uh, were at MD Anderson in Houston for uh, several of my doctor's appointments, as you can imagine, parking was a premium. Um, MD Anderson is huge. Tons of people want to go there, and tons of people are there. And as we were driving up, I think on the first day or second day, I don't remember exactly, as we are driving up, I began mumbling to myself, Lord, please let me find a parking spot. <laughs> and my wife glared at me and said, you're seriously not asking God for a parking spot, are you? <laughs> I said, leave me alone, I've come here for miracles, okay? So we went to valet parking, and so, but, uh, <laughs> but many times the word miracle is, is, is misused. It's misused. Too many times we give things that happen within the providential care of God, we give those, term, we give those things the term miracle. Listen, you may not agree with what I'm about to say, but I believe this. If everything is a miracle, then nothing is a miracle. If everything is a miracle, then there's nothing that can cause us to wonder in amazement at the glory of God and what he's done. And, and I see this happening so much in Christian, uh, in Christian world, in our, in, in our culture that we are using the word miracle inappropriately. A miracle causes wonder. Listen, if a parking spot causes you to wonder at the amazement of God, kudos to you, but 
I want a bigger God than that. I want a God that moves me to go, wow! God is able to do this. That's, that's what a miracle is. The third reason I believe the word miracle is losing its power is because it is often, the word miracle is often misunderstood. And I've alluded to that so far, what I've said this morning. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 16. Go to Matthew chapter 16. Um, just one verse. Matthew chapter 16, verse number, uh, verse number one. Um, this is midway through Jesus' ministry. Um, his ministry, as you know, or maybe you don't know, maybe you're new to following Jesus or you're still trying to figure out who this Jesus is, um, but Jesus had uh, performed many miracles in his ministry and, and people uh, flocked to see him and flocked to, to have him do miracles and, and many people were genuine, but he had a group of people that were not genuine in seeking the miracles of Jesus. It's a group that we know as the Bible calls them as Pharisees and Sadducees, the spiritual leaders of the day. And so the, fear, the Pharisees and Sadducees, they wanted to catch Jesus um, identifying himself on the same level and as equal to God. So that's the background. And so in chapter 16, verse 1, look at this. This is what takes place. The Pharisees and Sadducees came up to Jesus and they tested Jesus and they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. And what happens here in this text, the Pharisees and Sadducees, they asked Jesus to perform a miracle. They asked him to do something for them. Now we know from the rest of scripture, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four gospels, we know, we know the heart of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Pharisees and Sadducees did not truly care who Jesus really was. They wanted to do away with him because he was messing up the good thing that they had in their life. And they wanted to catch Jesus in a trap, and so they use a word for miracle called a sign, simeon. That's the Greek word, simeon, a sign that points to something. And they say to Jesus, hey, we want you to show us a sign because in the back of the mind, they want to get rid of him. So they go to Jesus, and in essence, they say this, we want you or we want to rub the genie's lamp. And we want the genie to come out of the lamp, and we want the genie to give us three wishes. Meaning, Jesus, we want you to do what we want. Meaning, we demand you to show us something. We want you to do something that's going to benefit us, but will not necessarily benefit others. They completely misunderstood a miracle. They were using it for selfish gain, for, for pride, for, hey, well, we asked Jesus to do this, and look what he did. And they began to look more at the miracle than looking at the one who is the miracle maker. Now, in our world today, there are, I would say, I, I put this into four, four groups of believers who believe different things about miracles. Now, let me give you these four groups of people. Um, this is just, this is my interpretation of it. Others may disagree with this. Uh, but these are different viewpoints on miracles. And we need to understand this um, because a person's viewpoint of a miracle um, actually comes, it comes out in what they say and what they believe and how they live, okay? Um, the first group is called a cessationist. Uh, cessationists believe that the miraculous gifts, specifically the gift of tongues and the gifts of healing, um, they believe that those no longer exist. They think that they have ceased. They believe at the end of the apostolic age um, that these miraculous gifts ceased to operate. They do believe that the Holy Spirit does miracles, but it is not necessarily through individual man or woman. Are you with me? Now, there are arguments for this, and there are some valid points for this, but that is one group of people um, with, with miracles. They do not believe these uh, supernatural gifts, gifts of healings and gift in tongues uh, work through individual people, although they do believe that gifts, uh, that miracles still do occur. A second group of people is what I call cautious but open. 
Um, this group of people believes that God does miracles to this day, including the gifts of tongues, including the gifts of healings, um, but they believe that it's not a free-for-all when it comes to those gifts. Meaning, they believe what Paul said is that the gifts are to be used within order, that there, that there are parameters. That Paul says there's parameters when it comes to the gift of tongues. Uh, Paul says that when it comes to uh, the use of your gifts, that it's to be done in love. That that's the greatest gift of all is, is love. And they believe that miracles happen, that tongues, healings, this all still takes place. But it's, but it's within parameters. They're cautious but open. I will tell you this morning, this is where your pastor is. This is where I fall in line with. I believe God can do miracles, but I believe it's got to be done within order. Um, the Bible says that confusion is not from the Lord. So, so we have to be cautious but open. That's my personal belief. If you disagree with me on that one, don't text me, okay? Um, um, uh, the third group um, is... is what you know as the Pentecostals and Charismatics. I don't think I have to explain that one too much. Uh, they obviously believe that miracles uh, happen and that they happen frequently and that God uses individual men and individual women to uh, perform these uh, miracles specifically uh, related to these miraculous gifts of tongues and healings. Um, and so you, you're aware of those. But there's a fourth group uh, that I want to make mention to you. It's called the third wave movement. Um, the third wave movement is, ties along with the Pentecostals and the Charismatics, um, but this third wave movement is a relatively new movement within the life of the church. So we're talking the, the 80s, 1980s or so. And so this third wave, it, by some uh, theologians, by some scholars, is called the, the Signs and Wonders Movement. Now, just a real brief um, history on, on, on Pentecostals and Charismatic and uh, the movement. It is a relatively new movement um, that began in the 1900s. There was a revival that took place in California called the Azusa Street Revival, where those who went to the revival, the gospel was preached, but then Somehow, some way, some signs and wonders showed up, and, and so it just kind of grew from there, and that was in the 1900s, and so the charismatic Pentecostals began to grow um, all across the United States. Uh, around the 1960s, the second wave came from this Pentecostal charismatic movement, and this, this movement of, of, of Pentecostal doctrine and teachings and practices, it began to spread to non-Pentecostal churches and denominations so that the, it, was, it was becoming a blend. Are, are you tracking with me? It was becoming a blend. This blend included the, the, the gifts of tongues, the gifts of healings, and, and, uh, and some other teachings regarding the charismatic movement. Um, this wave in the 1960s led to what we're still experiencing a little bit today, what we would call the word of faith movement, or uh, some people would call it the name it and claim it movement. Uh, you may have heard of that, where if you just name it and you claim it, so shall it be. Uh, that teaching is still taught today. Um, I, I believe that that is a false teaching. Uh, I do believe that we can speak words, that we can speak words in faith, but we in of ourselves are not creators. We are created. Um, and so this movement began to come forward in, in the, and then moved into the 1980s where, where signs and wonders began to appear. And, and, and I'll, be, I'll be honest with you, um, I, I've been a believer for a long time in my life, and um, I have seen things in my life, in my Christian walk, that I'll be doggone, I'm like, what in the world was that? I've seen some things. Um, I, I've seen uh, some miraculous healings take place. I've, I've heard tongues um, spoken before, the first time I heard tongues um, was, at a, was at a basketball game, believe it or not. It was my coach chewing me out for... <laughs> joking. Joking. The first time I heard it, really seriously, I was in the stands at a basketball game and a student pastor in our church began to speak in tongues. And it was, it was an, interesting, an interesting moment. I've seen, 
I've seen, um, um, I've seen, I've seen demons uh, removed from places. I've seen some things. I've seen some things and um, where you go, Lord, I don't fully understand all of these things that are going on, um, but would you please show me and guide me? And when it comes to signs and wonders, um, and, and particularly this third wave movement that I want to caution you with, it is the, those in the third wave movement who, who believe complete in the signs and wonders movement, they have the tendency to put personal experience over the authority of Scripture. Are you with me? They have the, ten- and let's be honest, we all have that tendency. I'm not, I'm not critiquing them or condemning them. I'm just saying we all have that tendency to put our personal experience over the authority of Scripture. Folks, there is no, uh, there, your personal experience does not supersede the authority of Scripture. Scripture is the final word. It cannot be added to, and it cannot be removed. I don't care what your experience is. Any experience that you have, signs and wonders, any experience that you have must submit to the authority of God's word. That's one of the reasons here at First Baptist Church Brunswick that we teach our Sunday small groups that you put the Bible at the center of your group. That whenever you go into a small group situation, whether it's in um, the education building, whether it's at the student center, maybe you have a small group at home, whenever you have a small group, you put the Bible at the center of your conversation. Because it's the final authority. It's the word. Jesus was the word. Jesus spoke it. And this is what we are to study. It's the revealed word of God. And God is not going to reveal it to anybody else in a different fashion. It's the revealed word of God. So when you go into a small group, you you center yourself around God's word. This is why we teach our small group teachers. We teach them to ask a specific question. Whenever you're a small group teacher or you're teaching anybody about God's word, you you ask the question, what does the text say? We don't ask, what does the text say to you? What does the text mean to you? That's not the question that we want answered. Because the text has a word for us, and it's a word for everybody. Now, there may be different applications, but when you go to God's word, you say, God, what does your word say? What does it say? What does it mean? Not what do I think it means, but what does it mean? And so when it comes to miracles, we must never put the experience over the Savior or over the authoritative revealed word of God. Are you with me this morning? Are you having a good experience this morning? Well, so those are the reasons why I believe that the word miracle has lost its power. Unbelief, it's misunderstood, and so many times it it is misused. Well, what do I mean when I use the word miracle? I think we need to understand what the word miracle and what, what a biblical view of a miracle is. Well, on the screen behind me is a definition of the word miracle um, that, that I really like. It's not mine. I've added a few things to it. But this definition of miracles from Richard Pertle, who is an apologist and an author. But I think it's a really, really, really good definition for the word miracle. So here it is. A miracle is a supernatural event brought about by the power of God that is a temporary exception to the ordinary course of nature for the purpose of showing that God is who he says he is. It is a supernatural event brought about by the power of God that that supersedes natural law, that it can't be explained by natural law. It is outside natural law And it's for the purpose of showing us who God really is. A a miracle, a miracle is when God in heaven, God the Father, intervenes here in his creation. It's when he sticks his finger into creation and he does only that which God can do. And so he suspends um, natural law for just a moment. When God, the all-powerful, the all-knowing, when he steps in and he says, this is to be done, and it's done. 
It's in the Old Testament when the axe head floats on the water. It's unspeakable. How does that happen? An axe head doesn't float in water. Well, it does float in water when God's hand is underneath the bottom, I mean, is, at the, is in that water. That's a miracle. That's a miracle. When God steps in and for a moment, he changes what is going on. You go to Target. If you go to Target after church today and every spot is full of cars, and when you drive up and then all of a sudden all of them go, (laughs) that's a miracle. (laughs) Well, well. But I wonder this morning, I wonder how many of you today stand here or sit here and say, I need a miracle in my life. I wonder how many of you say, I need, I need God to hold that ax head up while I'm in the water. Let me share with you um, some characteristics of miracles that are found in the Bible. Um, I'm not going to share all of these characteristics of miracles found in the Bible because if I did that, it would be, this, this would be way too long. I don't have enough time to do this in one message. By the way, my, my guest preachers have been putting me in a bad light recently. They've been preaching really short messages. <laughs> and so I thought about saying to you this morning, I'm a preach a short message, but you'd respond with, well, when pigs fly. But uh, <laughs> uh, let me give you, I just want to give you four, four characteristics of miracles found in the Bible. Okay, what, what I see when I look at the scriptures, when I see miracles, and from what I've studied, this is, what, this is what I see. Again, this isn't all of them, but just for time's sake, here's, here's four of them. Number one, miracles are unusual, they are rare, and they're never demanded. When I read Scripture and I read all the miracles, they're unusual, they're rare, and they're not demanded. They are supernatural, which means they are out of this world. Go to Psalm 77 um, in your Bible, please. Go to Psalm 77. Um, this is a passage of Scripture that I uh, looked at a lot um, this week and just was really captivated uh, by this chapter. I want you to look at verses 11 through 14, and I want to show you what I mean by, by saying that miracles are rare and unusual. I, I want you to get this because, listen, I, we live in a world which, which is saying that, that miracles are happening boom, 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 all the time. We, you don't see that in Scripture. They're rare. They're unusual. Remember, because if everything's a miracle, then nothing's a miracle. Look at Psalm 77, begin in verse number 11. And, and this is what the psalmist says. He says, I shall remember the deeds of the Lord. Surely I will remember your wonders of old. Underline that phrase, wonders. I'll get to that in just a second. Look at verse 12. I will meditate on all your word, and I will muse on your deeds. The word muse means I will sing about. I will talk about your deeds. I will meditate on them and I will tell other people about them. Verse 13, why? Because your way, O God, is holy. And I love this next question. What God is like our God? What's the answer to that question? There ain't nothing out there. What God is like our God? And in verse 14, he gives us the reason why. You are the God who works, what's that word? Wonders, underline it. Some translations do say miracles. In Hebrew, there are three words used to explain the word miracle. The word wonders is one of those words. In Hebrew, it is the word, let me spell it for you. It's P-E-L-E. It's pronounced Pele. 
Anybody like soccer? <laughs> Who's one of the greatest soccer players of all time? Pele. Wow. Pretty interesting. You know what Pele means? It means out of this world. It means out of this world. Pele, the greatest soccer player of all time, probably he did things that nobody else on the planet could do at that time with a soccer ball. His play was considered to be out of this world. But the psalmist before Pele, the soccer player, ever came into existence on this earth as a soccer player, the psalmist says, my God is a God who does wonders. He's saying, my God does that which is out of this world. My God does the supernatural. My God does things that nobody else can do. He says, who is a God like my God? The answer is nobody. Why? Because our God, he does wonders. He does things that are unusual. He doesn't do it like man does it. Why? Because he's God. He's supernatural. He's outside of everything that we can ever imagine or think. His work is different than man's work because he's God. The prophet Isaiah picks up this same theme from the psalmist years later in Isaiah chapter 25, verse 1. Isaiah says this, O Lord, you are my God, and I will exalt you. I will praise you. I will give thanks to you. I will praise your name. Why? For you have worked wonders. There it is. You have Pele. You've done the things that are out of this world. You've done the supernatural, and because of that, I will praise you. And so you look in Scripture at all of the out-of-this-world moments, all of these Pele moments, these wonders, these miracles, a bush that never burned, Moses, Elijah calling down fire from heaven, Jesus walking on the water. Folks, that's not normal. That's not normal. And if it was normal, I don't want to follow a God who's normal. I don't want that. I don't want a God who's natural. I want a God who's supernatural, who's rare, who's unique. And he does things out of this world. When you and I look at Scripture, when it comes to miracles, there are three basic periods when an overwhelming majority of the miracles take place. You may or may not know this, but there are three periods, three eras, when an overwhelming majority of the miracles take place in scriptures. Let me give those to you. The first era, the first period, is during the time of Moses and Joshua. When Moses arrives on the scene in the book of Exodus, miracles take place, do they not? That's when they take place, the splitting of the Red Sea, water coming from the rock, uh, the Israelites' shoes on their feet never uh, falling apart when they're in the desert, God providing the manna from heaven, God doing all these things that only God can do. You get to Joshua, the walls fall down, the sun stands still, they walk through uh, the Jordan River. So in the period of Moses and Joshua, that's the first period where there is an overwhelming uh, majority of miracles. The book of Exodus contains more miracle narratives than any other book in the Old Testament. Does that mean that there weren't other miracles during that time? No, but this is a great period where they're all sandwiched together. The second period is during the ministries of Elijah and Elisha. It's when you see great miracles take place. Again, the fire from heaven, raising of the widow's son. We see multiple um, uh, miracles. We see uh, the chariot of fire. Do you remember that? You see the whirlwinds, uh, and, and they're taken away, and, and you see ravens bringing food, and you see things that are only done by the hand of God. It's supernatural. It's out of this world. It's rare. It's unusual. And when you step back in time, you see that from um, uh, Moses and Joshua to Elijah and Elisha, it was not just like three months. Are you with me? There's a long, it's a long time. 
And the third great era, the third great period of of miracles is obviously the time of Christ and the apostles. That's when you see um, a great majority of the miracles. And here's the interesting thing. In those periods, none of those periods lasted much more than 100 years. And each of them had an explosion of miracles unheard of at other times in God's redemptive history. But folks, even during those times, those three periods, even during those times of great miracles, let me tell you this, the miracles still were not normal. Are you tracking with me? They were still unique. They were still supernatural. You weren't walking everywhere, boom, miracle, 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 miracle. No, 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 no. They were still unusual. They were still, they were still rare because a miracle is supernatural. It's out of this world. Matter of fact, you go to the New Testament and you count the miracle accounts of Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and some of them repeat in the different gospels. Um, there are scholars... They don't have, not settled on one number, but anywhere between 35, 37, and 39 miracle accounts of Jesus. I'm not talking about how many people, but just the account of it. Are you with me? So you, you, you pull back from that and you go, Jesus only had a public ministry for three years. It's one a month. What's the point? The point is, even in those times of great miracle movements in the Old Testament and the New Testament, they still were unusual and they were still rare. But they were still miracles. Now John um, does say in John chapter 21, verse 25, he does say this, that there were many other things that Jesus did. And if we were to write them in down in a book, we could not contain it all. So, Am I saying or believe that Jesus only did 35 miraculous accounts? No. That's all that we have recorded. Why is that so? Because it's, because miracles, rare, unusual, um, but they are supernatural. I think another thing about miracles that you see in Scripture, I didn't put this on the screen for you, but I want you to write this down because we need to understand this. Miracles in the Old Testament and the New Testament, remember the supernatural event where God comes in, holds the axe head. Miracles in the Old and New Testament, they were immediate. There's not a miracle in the scriptures that takes place over time. When God spoke, it happened. Um, You know, um, you know, f- f- over the past month or so, um, you and I as a church, we have prayed um, that God would uh, miraculously, supernaturally um, remove the tumor, remove the cancer from me. We've prayed that and I've asked that, I've begged that, I've cried that and, and many of you have as well. Um, I-, I stand before you this morning to say, I still have the tumor. I still have it. And so for whatever reason that I don't fully understand, but we'll get, I'll talk about this in a few minutes. For whatever reason, at this moment in time, God in his sovereignty and in his providential care has chosen not to miraculously and supernaturally remove it. Meaning, God has not done this outside of the help of mankind. Are you with me? And so what I trust is God's providential care through the hands of doctors whom he has given wisdom to. Are you with me? So, so when God's favor is upon me and that cancer is removed, I'm a, hear me out. It will not be considered a miracle. Are you with me? Because a miracle is a supernatural event where God suspends natural law. 
But what it will be is God's favor and blessing upon me and upon all the doctors that he's allowed them in their unique ability to create a plan of attack that does what it needs to do. And that's considered God's providential care. Who cares? Right? Okay, God, here's, here's option one. Do it. I know you can. Well, I, I, I kind of I want to take you through a little bit of suffering. I don't want to go through suffering. <laughs> I, I don't want that. I, I, want, I want my body, God. But I don't want any of that. I hear you. And I'm able, but I got some other things I want for you. (laughs) And then he says, I can take care of you however I want. I can reach in and I can hold up that axe head or I can give doctors wisdom. And I can give you my favor and I can give you my providential care. Do you really care which way it is? Well, yeah. (laughs) Are you with me? Here's the second thing. Miracles exist because God exists. Miracles exist because God exists. Um, Exodus chapter 15. I told y'all this was not going to be a short message. Are y'all okay with that? Some of you are lying. (laughs) Exodus 15, verse verse 11. Um, Exodus 15, verse 11, this is the song of Moses. The Israelites have just been delivered from the Red Sea. They've walked through on dry land. They're victorious. And Moses writes this song, and he sings a song. In verse number 11, he says this, Who is like you among the gods, O Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, Awesome in praises and working wonders. Two things I want you to know in verse number 11. Notice the word Lord. How is that capitalized? It's all caps. What does that mean? Whenever you see the word Lord in all caps, this is the name of God. This is Yahweh. This is the self-existing one. This is the one who revealed himself to Moses at the burning bush. He says, I am who I am. This is the name of God. And then notice what Moses says. He says, who is like you among the gods, O Lord, who you are? You are the self-existing one, meaning you exist. And then he says in verse 11, awesome in praises, working in wonders. What's that Hebrew word for wonders? Everybody say it. It's Pele. Moses is saying, God, because you exist, wonders exist. Because you exist, miracles exist. This is what the Bible teaches us. If you do not believe miracles exist, you do not believe God exists. God exists, therefore he's going to do miracles. Let me show you another passage. Go to Isaiah. This one, when I read this one, folks, I'm telling you, when, when, I, when I read this one, I, this was amazing. This was wow. Now I can't even find where the book of Isaiah is. Where is that? My hands are shaking. I'm so excited about this. Isaiah chapter 9. Just just go there. We read this verse so many times when it comes to to Christmas time. But this is so opened up after studying all this. Look at verse verse number 6 from chapter 9, Isaiah. This is written 700 years before Christ is born. Verse 6, we read this at Christmas time, but it says, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given, and the government will rest upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called what? Oh, come on, y'all. Wonderful. What's that Hebrew word? Say it. Pele. So that means that when Jesus comes on this earth, he will be called wonderful, which means he will be called the miracle worker. That's his name. His name is the miracle worker. He's able to do the things that are out of this world. He's able. He has the power to do it. And his name shall be called Wonderful. 
Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, the prince of peace. Miracles exist because God exists and because that's the name of our Savior. The third reason why, or the things that we can learn from from Scripture about miracles is this. Miracles always promote good and they glorify God and God alone. Miracles never glorify the recipient of the miracle. Norman Geisler, author and theologian, said this, because God is good, miracles only produce and promote that which is good. James, the brother of Jesus, said in James 1.17, every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. And all throughout Scripture, all throughout Scripture, miracles are never for a show of entertainment. Are you with me? It's Jesus, it's his spokespersons who are mingling with the people and miracles are happening. It's never for entertainment. It's always for the glory of God. And number four, here's the last one. Miracles reveal the power of God. In the New Testament, again, there are three, there are three words used for miracle in the New Testament. Um, you have signs and wonder, and then you have the word miracle. The Greek word for miracle is dunamis, D-U-N-A-M-I-S. And dunamis simply means power. So that whenever Jesus performs a miracle, it is powerful. And this is all consistent with who Jesus is. Amen? Well, has this been good? Um, I, I want to close with, with four things on you know, what's our response to be. This will be real quick, I promise you. Um, when, I, when I was eight years old, <clears throat> When I was eight years old, I gave my life to Christ. And it, and it took place during a revival. The evangelist told his story. And his story involved being diagnosed with cancer. He had an untreatable cancer, and the doctors gave him little chance of survival. But I remember the evangelist saying, but I had God on my side. And through the prayers of faithful people, God miraculously healed that man of cancer. Miraculously, supernaturally. And I remember as an eight-year-old sitting on the second row at Second Baptist Church in La Mesa, Texas with burnt orange carpet. I remember saying, I want to serve a God who can heal cancer. And I believe he can. Now, what's our response to that belief? Four things. Number one, you keep believing. You keep believing in the power of miracles. You believe it. Al Michaels in 1980 gave sports one of the greatest lines ever when the United States hockey team beat Soviet Union. And near the end of the game, Al Michaels said this, do you believe in miracles? Yes. You keep believing. Number two, you keep seeking Jesus. Seek Jesus, not the miracle. You seek Jesus, not the miracle. Jesus said, seek you first the kingdom of God and all these things will what? Be added to you. You seek Jesus. The third thing is you keep praying. You keep praying. You keep asking. You keep begging. You keep knocking on the door of heaven. You keep asking God to do the miracle. You keep asking. He wants to hear from his children. You ask. You have not because you, you ask not. You keep praying. For whatever miracle you need, you need, you keep praying. And lastly, lastly, you do this. You keep trusting. You keep trusting. A good way to do the trust is something I've learned over the years, and I just want to share it with you, is whenever it comes to trusting Jesus, I call this the palms, palms up, palms down. 
But whenever I come to Jesus, begin with palms up, meaning I tell Jesus thank you for everything that he is. Does that make sense? God, thank you. Thank you for all that you've done in my life. I praise you. You're the great comforter. You're the great healer. I thank you. And I give him praise. Then after I give him praise, turn the palms down, and I just, I just, just beg him. I just give him everything that's on my mind, everything that I'm thinking about. I give him all my prayer requests. I just give him everything. And I beg and I intercede and I plead. And I give it all. And then afterwards, and this is the hard part. Afterwards, you turn, I turn my hands up and surrender and say, I receive what you seek best for me. I think many of us are kind of in that spot. We're here. We're here. And we need to be here. So this morning, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. You're invited to come to the altar with whatever miracle you so desire and seek in your life. And I ask you to come palms down. But by the time you leave, your palms up. Father, I pray I pray that you do the supernatural I pray that you do out of this world and I pray that you will do what's best for us as we give you our lives in Jesus name we pray Amen